welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We have finally done the smartest thing we have ever done in the history of this podcast. So um, a couple weeks ago, we talked at length on one of these episodes about the points after elimination tanking, anti-tanking plan, the gold plan as it's now come to be known. We dove in deep about the pros and cons. And then uh, not too long after we talked about it on this podcast, Shane Doan brought it up. Pierre Lebrun brought it, brought it up, and then um, Sean McIndoe, Down Goes Brown, brought up an article he had about it three years ago. So the smartest thing we've done is we got someone on this episode far smarter than us to talk about said plan. So we have an interview with Down Goes Brown. So we're going to cut straight to that and uh, meet you again after. So enjoy and uh, catch my uh, rambling intro as I realized I had not planned it out. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, I think one of our first ever returning... No, that's wrong. Our second ever returning guest, uh, Down Goes Brown, a.k.a. Sean McIndoe. That was intentionally backwards. Welcome, uh, Sean, to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, So this was a very apt um, time for you to come back, obviously. So thank you for coming because we have uh, two huge topics here in front of us. Uh, Getting right into it. Uh, you had a fantastic uh, piece about um, concussions and head injuries in the NHL. And then uh, what we'll actually get into first is the gold plan, which uh, seems to be a buzz lately. So um, this all kind of, or one of the big draws that's coming up on hockey Twitter and hockey media is the article that you actually wrote uh, three years ago, I believe it was, about the gold plan. So do you just want to walk us through uh, what it is and kind of how it came to fruition? Sure. So, I mean, let me let me start uh, by stating very clearly and for the record, this is not my idea. This is this is not something I had anything to do with coming up with. Uh, It is called the Gold Plan because it is named after a guy by the name of Adam Gold, who uh, first presented it, uh, I believe, at the Sloan Conference uh, several years ago. So so this goes back uh, quite quite a ways. Uh, And it it sort of has been one of those things that's been kicking around on hockey Twitter and, and sort of the hockey web for uh, for a while now, almost immediately after he presented it, because it's an amazing idea. Uh, but it resurfaced, uh, I guess, it, I mean, this may, we're talking maybe three years ago, I want to say, uh, when Shane Doan, mm-hmm. uh, who at the time was still a player with the Coyotes, uh, basically resurfaced it and, and kind of suggested it uh, without calling it the gold plan and, and sort of presenting it as his, his own sort of idea. And I'll, I'll say, I don't know if, you know, sometimes people think of good ideas separately. I don't know if Shane Doan uh, thought of this on his own or if maybe somebody passed it on to him uh, without giving credit or or he saw it or whatever. Uh, I don't really care because it's such a good idea. I just want to see it happen. Uh, and Shane Doan now works for the NHL. So if he is still on board with this idea, uh, it's uh, it's a good thing because he's now in a position where maybe he can start getting it into the ears of uh, some people who can who can actually have some influence and and make a difference, which is something that uh, I, I don't think I have much ability to do, and and unfortunately I don't think Adam Gold has much ability to do. So uh, that's the preamble to it. The idea itself, if anyone has not heard it, if you're not familiar with it, basically uh, it, the the problem that Adam set out to solve was that uh, in in today's NHL and and really in in, in all of the the uh, the major sports, um, but from our perspective in, in the NHL, there is an incentive to lose. Certainly, once you get towards the end of a season, if you're a team like the Red Wings and you're you know you're not going to the playoffs, uh, there's really no incentive to win down the stretch. And in fact, it's the opposite. There's an incentive to lose, and 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 the reason for that is the draft lottery, and we give higher odds to the teams finish lower in the standings and so you wind up with this awful situation uh, like like you would have with a team like Detroit where they've won like what is it four of their last five games uh, which is in theory good and yet in reality I'm sure there's a lot of fans in Detroit who are watching this team going oh geez you're killing your lottery odds with all of these meaningless wins and in fact if you take it to the extreme, you can get a situation like we had a few years ago where Buffalo was playing Arizona in the in the Connor McDavid year and both teams are flagrantly tanking. And they're playing each other in Buffalo, 
and the the fans actually turn and start cheering for the Coyotes because, <laughs> uh, and and you know, they, literally the Coyotes score a goal in Buffalo and Sabres fans cheer, and and they did that. You know, people were upset by that, but they were behaving perfectly rationally because it was in the team's best interest to lose. So Adam's idea is okay. Uh, we don't want to give people uh, teams an incentive to lose down the stretch. We don't want to encourage tanking, and yet at the same time. We do want to help the bad teams. We don't necessarily, I know some people say, well, give everyone the same odds or give the best picks to the teams that miss the playoffs by the least. But we we want to help the bad teams. Uh, and so Adam came up with this brilliant idea, which is basically that the draft order would be determined by how many points a team can accumulate from the point where they are eliminated from the playoffs until the end of the season. And the brilliance to that is twofold. Number one, it still gives a real big advantage to the bad teams because the bad teams get eliminated earlier. If you're a bad team, you can be out of the playoffs with 10 or 12 games to go. If you're a good team, you might not get eliminated until there's one or two games to go. You might not get eliminated until the last night of the season and, and not have any games where you're eliminated. So it gives this huge head start to the bad teams, but it forces them to earn the pick by winning games, which means no more tanking, no more, oh, whoopsie doodle, all our goalies are hurt. No more, you know, we don't, we're not going to dress a, you know, a decent, we're going to shut down everyone who's got a hangnail. Uh, and no more teams, fans cheering for their teams to lose. No more of this miserable feeling where it's like, oh, we're winning. I don't know if I actually want that because you know, I'm looking at the lottery odds. Instead, you'd be cheering for your team down the stretch. And it, instead of games like, you know, last night we had Ottawa play in Buffalo. It, nobody watched that game. You, I, I don't care if you had a, if you have a relative on the team, you're not watching <laughs> Ottawa and Buffalo at this point in the year. But if, if we had the goal plan, that would have been must-see TV. You, you would have been talking about two of the teams that are fighting for that uh, number one pick. Uh, and that, could be the t- that could be the game that determines who gets Jack Hughes. It would have been fantastic. Well, not, not in Ottawa's case, but uh, you know, in, 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 uh, for Colorado. It's, it's, I, I love the idea so much because it, it maintains what a lot of people say they like about the current system, which is we have to give a hand up to the bad teams. I'm not completely on board with that. I think if you're truly bad repeatedly these days in this age of parity and loser points and and revenue sharing and everything else the league has done to try to help everyone, if you're still that bad, you're either incompetent or you're tanking. And and I don't have a lot of sympathy for either one of those. Uh, But I understand and accept that I'm in a minority on that and that most people want to help, want to see the bad teams get the extra help. Great. Here's a way that does it. You know, if you're the Senators, you got 10 games uh, whereas other teams were only getting two or three. But if you finish 0 and 10, you're not getting a top pick. Sorry, you got to win. You got to earn it. And it's it's it becomes like anything else of value, like the President's Trophy or Home Ice Advantage or the Stanley Cup. You got to win it. The, the the lottery odds are the only thing we reward losing. Uh, let's let teams actually win. And and I you know this was a brilliant way to do it in a way that's still gave a big advantage to those bad teams, but now finally forces them to actually go out there and win some games and give their fans something to cheer about instead of something to roll their eyes at. So I disagree with absolutely nothing you said there. So my next question, though, is obviously uh, you have um, a far bigger sphere of feedback um, when you post articles and outline ideas like this. What has been the biggest pushback to this idea you have seen from the general public? Uh, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, the biggest pushback you get is the same pushback you get with anything, which is we're hockey fans and we don't think anything should ever change. Uh, <laughs> and and we just, you know, nothing, nothing can ever be different. And uh, I mean, hockey fans, uh, you, you know, I've, I've often said the two defining characteristics of hockey fans are we hate everything and we don't want anything to ever change. Uh, we, we just complain constantly uh, and then and then oh, yell at each other over the solutions. But, uh, you know, the. Other objections, you know, there, there have been people who have argued, like my, my buddy Greg Wyshynski from uh, uh, ESPN has written in the past that he doesn't think tanking is a problem. He thinks tanking is just fine. He thinks that, you know, what we've seen uh, uh, in recent years is, is just teams doing what they should do. And, and he doesn't have an issue with, with teams shutting guys down and, and that kind of thing. Um, it, you know, I, I don't agree with that. But, it, you know, even if you don't mind tanking, uh, you you can't like the fact that teams are expected to root for losing and fans are expected to root for losing and and you know that even if you don't think tanking is a problem the goal plan still brings a new level of excitement and fun to the stretch 
uh, drive that, that we don't have currently. So I, you know, I like that uh, as as my response to people like Greg who are wrong uh, in their uh, argument that the tanking doesn't matter. Um, you do hear sometimes people say, well, teams will just tank the whole season then so that they finish last uh, by more points and they and, and they get a head start. I don't think that would happen because in today's NHL, first of all, I mean, what teams uh, came into this season tanking from the start? You know, we see every year teams make the playoffs that aren't expected to every year. There's a couple of teams nobody thought had any chance. And then, whoops, there there they are in the playoffs uh, at the end of the season. I don't think any GM is going to say I'm going to tank right out of the gate just so that I can get slightly better odds at winning a first pick down the line. Now, if there's a Connor McDavid in the draft, maybe, maybe. But you know what? They tank anyways today. Like, you know, and people say, well, they'll just tank earlier. Again, maybe they would, but it's it's not like you can just throw a switch. It's not like you can just bench everybody and be terrible for 70 games. And then when you get eliminated from the playoffs, go, aha, now we spring our trap on the league. And, and here comes this awesome lineup that can go 12 and 0 the rest of the way. That's not how it works. So, you know, if you're bad all year, you're probably going to be bad down the stretch, too. So I, I don't think that would be an effective strategy. Uh, I've had people object uh, on the grounds that it might hurt the trade deadline because teams would be reluctant to trade away veterans uh for draft picks knowing that they had to still win some games down the stretch again i'm not as convinced you know i i certainly don't think anyone's passing up a first round pick uh just so they can have a slightly better lineup for a few games at the end of the year uh if it's a case of trading your sixth defenseman for a fifth round pick would you maybe think twice maybe i'm not completely sure that's a bad thing i love trading i I love the trade deadline probably more than anybody but if if those are the kind of trades we lose I, I don't I think that's a price worth paying. And, and in fact, we might even get some actual hockey trades where some of these bad teams are saying, you know what? Uh, OK, I'm not just going to try to get some draft pick for three years down the line uh, that, uh, you know, that doesn't really bring any excitement to my fans. Well, I want a player who's going to help now. Maybe it's a younger guy. Maybe it's a guy who's still under team control. But, I you know, let's let's get somebody in now. I don't mind that. I don't mind some hockey trades. Uh, so, you know, those are the main objections. And then the last one is that you get is people will say. Uh, you know, they, they start getting really down into the details and they say, well, but what if the schedule is unbalanced? You know, you got one team's got two teams of each only got six games to accumulate these points. One of them, one of one of them has a tougher schedule or what if somebody plays in a tougher division and, and you know, there's an imbalance there. And they, so one team gets a little bit of an advantage. There's there's going to be luck involved here and there will. That is a fair and valid criticism. There is certainly going to be uh, some luck involved. You're talking about fairly small sample sizes at this point. Uh, it's the goal plan is not a way to just absolutely fairly determine this. There would certainly be some luck involved in in how it worked. Uh, but the current system is a ping pong ball lottery that involves an awful lot of luck. Like this would be an improvement still over what we have. It's not perfect. I don't think anyone is arguing that it's perfect. But you can't say you can't point at the goal plan and say, well, there'd be luck involved. So let's stick with a ping pong ball lottery. That doesn't make any sense at all. The the current system is almost entirely based on luck. So, uh, you know, having a system that's a little bit based on luck and oh, by the way, brings all this fun and excitement, uh, I think, is uh, is something we should absolutely be willing to uh, to to go after. Okay, so um, following up with your point um, about the trade deadline, because to me that's a very interesting point. As someone who follows the trade deadline religiously myself and spends 14 hours straight on my phone that day, I actually think the gold plan would increase the interest in the trade deadline, not by volume of trade, but I think because teams will be more reluctant to move their depth pieces – the amount of assets that would hit the market would be far fewer, which then would demand higher premiums. Because if you look at the trade deadline this year, the forward market was ridiculous. You could have went uh, 10 players deep and found quality top six forwards. That doesn't happen most trade deadlines. And as more teams tank, that number is going to stay sky high, say for Ottawa selling their entire uh, franchise. Do you do you agree that that might be the case where a guy like Gus Nyquist, instead of getting a second and a third round pick, now he's worth a first plus a, a prospect or something because he's one of few assets on the market? Potentially, yeah. Maybe maybe it does limit that a little bit, and and you don't have, uh, you know, you 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 pump up the market as far as the sellers are concerned a little bit. That that's certainly possible. But you know, at this at, by the same token. He's still the guy that you're going to trade, whether you're getting a first round pick or whether it's a second and third. You're not going to sit there and say, well, 
we're going to have six games. Geez, uh, we, maybe if he's in the lineup, we get an extra point. Maybe there's a, a 5% chance that that point is the one that makes a difference in our draft pick. It, you're not going to hold off and not move the guy because of that. So I do think that the whole trade deadline objection is is overstated. And like I say, I say that as somebody who is very pro-trading, very pro-trade uh, deadline, has come up with all sorts of wacky and stupid ideas over the years on on how we can get more trading. Uh, so if, if anybody would... Uh, push back on on something that might uh, might do harm to the trade deadline it should be me uh but i'm you know i i think the trade-off here is well worth taking one last question sean actually i shouldn't say one last question this is actually um i have to kind of deviate here uh, as someone who follows obviously toronto hockey very closely i want to know where you stand on this whole uh current playoff format versus the uh one through eight system that's kind of being paraded to to bring back do you think are you tired of seeing the Toronto versus Boston over and over again? And would you prefer to go back to the old one versus eight system? Or are you seeing uh, the benefits that the NHL, you know, foretold in the, the current system that we have right now? Yeah, I well, I to answer your first question. Yes, I'm sick of seeing Toronto versus Boston because <laughs> Boston keeps beating Toronto every year. And uh, I'm, I'm sick of seeing that. I, I've uh, yeah, I've been on the record over the years as as not having a big problem with the current playoff format. So I, you know, to, I, I can't turn around and change my view now that it's it's my team that that looks like uh, the one that's that's going to get hurt. I mean, let's let's start with this. The goal of every team going into the playoffs is to win the Stanley Cup. Nobody loses the Stanley Cup based on the playoff format. You still have to beat the teams you got to beat. If the Leafs are good enough to win the Cup, they got to be able to beat Boston. They got to be able to beat Tampa. Now, should those should those matchups happen in the first two rounds versus the second or third or or even later? Maybe. And you know, there is something to be said for that. There is something to be said for saying, look, if maybe my team isn't good enough to win the Cup, but if they're good enough to win a round, then they deserve to win a round. And that that brings in revenue, it brings in experience, it brings in memories for the fans. That stuff is all important. Uh, but at the same time, I do like where the NHL was trying to go with this. You know, I, I grew up in the 80s in the old Norris division, which was, you know, very much a, a, that that was even more of the division format because it was four teams in every division, no matter what. It didn't if you were the Norris, you, you, the Leafs could make the playoffs with 55 points and some team in the Patrick would have 80 points and would miss. Uh, and, you know, it was it was unfair then, too. And in fact, I've written about this, that the NHL's playoff format has always been unfair to some extent. So anybody who tells you that. There used to be a better way. I mean, there's never been a way that people liked. There's always been complaints. Um, I don't have really harsh, severe complaints about this format because I think division rivalries are great, and I think the playoffs are the best way to make them. The problem that I do think you run into, the reason why, you know, because I've seen people say, well, if this is supposed to be generating these great rivalries, where are they? We're not really seeing them like we did back in the day. Uh, Number one, the game has changed clearly with with regards to uh, you know fighting and bad blood and all of that stuff uh, and number two you're talking about eight team divisions now there used to be five teams if there's five teams and four of them make the playoffs you're going to see a lot of the same matchups year in and year out when there's eight teams and all this parity and, and teams moving in and out you know maybe we're at the point where that shouldn't be the goal anymore because we're just not not going to be able to do it it's just, the, the numbers aren't just going to line up so i don't mind the one versus eight i don't mind the one versus four uh you know i've i've given my own uh my own version, which is what I would like to do, is is do one versus eight, and then when you get to the final four, reseed, uh, and no matter what, forget about the conferences. If if you know if, if the four best teams are left, we go one versus four, two versus three, and if we get two teams from the same conference playing in the Stanley Cup final, cool. You know, if if Pittsburgh and Washington end up playing in the Stanley Cup final, great. Or Toronto and Montreal, or uh, you know whatever other matchup, you know Edmonton, Calgary, whatever other matchup you want to imagine. Uh, if we get that in the Stanley Cup final, awesome. I, you know, I think that would be uh, the the way to do it, and that would also be the way to make sure that the two best teams don't meet in the second or the third round. They they would always meet in the final. Um, but I I just it, it, this is this is not something I'm supposed to say in my line of work. But I don't really have a hot take on this because uh, I feel like the the current format is I. I I acknowledge the flaws. I think there are flaws in one versus eight. I think there are flaws in pretty much everything. At the end of the day, you got to beat the good teams uh, if you're if you're going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I reserve the right to completely change my mind and, and complain and, and cry about it uh, in a few weeks after the Leafs have been swept by the Bruins. <laughs> but until that day, I'm I'm you know I'm 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 okay if when when I am made commissioner and I get the magic wand to wave three times and and change things in this league. Uh, the the playoff format is not going to be one of the first ones I'm I'm aiming at. 
Well, you are a hockey fan, so change being avoided is likely exactly. <laughs> exactly, it sucks, and we shouldn't change anything. So then, uh, one more thing to kind of branch into the playoff system a little bit, uh, just to make this point quick, because I know we're cutting tight for time here. Three point system, yay or nay? Yep, yeah, absolutely. The current uh, the current system uh, with the loser point is is awful. Um, I, I also think it would be a vast improvement if we just went to two points for a win and, and no points for a loss and that was it. I But I understand that many people feel like uh, it, that would be unfair because shootouts and, and to a lesser extent overtime are, are not real hockey and it's not fair to punish a team completely for a loss in, in those situations. So yeah, 3-2-1. It took me a little while to come around on that one. I, I got to be honest, it, 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 my, my traditionalist kind of old school uh, uh, brain kicked in a few times, and uh, and and it 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 took me took me a little while to realize that you know that that's the right way to do it. Every game would be worth the same number of points. There would be incentive to win in regulation instead of the current system where there is incentive to do nothing in regulation and wait for overtime. So the loser point fairy shows up. Uh, it would uh, the objections that you hear from the league and from other people about how well you know teams would fall out of the race earlier. Not true. That's not how the numbers work. Uh, you would you would have bigger gaps, but it would be easier to make up those gaps. I mean, if you're if you're three wins back and today that means you're six points out and under this system, you'd be nine points out. It's the same gap. You got three wins to make up, except this way you could actually maybe make those points up a little easier rather than going out and winning your game and then realizing the two teams you're chasing are, are going to overtime and, and you're not really going to gain any ground. So, yes, three point system. Uh, I'm absolutely all in. Uh, let's uh, that that will be one of the things I use my magic wand on when I have the opportunity. So we have the gold plan, the three point system. What's the what's the third wave of your magic wand? Oh boy, you know what? I, I, for years, I would have said the fixing the puck over glass, but I think at this point, I got to get rid of the uh, I got to get rid of the review system first. We, we got to get the, these these stupid offside reviews. Like I'm old enough to remember the skate in the crease rule that ruined the '99 Stanley Cup, and I'm rem- I'm old enough to remember years of fans hating that and going when are we going to change this and the league going no i think it's working pretty good and everyone going i what is the matter with these guys what's it going to take and then you know brett hall scores with his foot in the crease and it's you know like six minutes later the rule has been taken out of the rule book and 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 i remember people at the time going well we'll never be that dumb again and and here we are we're doing the exact same thing with this stupid offside rule so i don't know i i might try to like uh Maybe I'd maybe I'd use my last wish to wish for more wishes, and I'd I'd do uh, puck over glass and the uh, offside rule at the same time. Ah, uh, the classic. So what's going to end up happening is an offside review is going to pull back an overtime goal in the 82nd game of the season that will cost the Buffalo Sabers Jack Hughes or yeah. Alexi Lafreniere. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. I like. It. We'll get him. We'll get, kill uh, kill everything with uh, uh, with one stone. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, Sean. Uh, we're going to chat more once we let you go about uh, the gold plan as well as your uh, your the the piece you wrote on the athletic about concussions and head injuries. Uh, but first, we want to say thank you again for coming on. Uh, it, it was a blast having you on again, and, and we're hoping to have you back on soon. Maybe once the gold plan starts to get some more legs, uh, we can make this a little bit more of a forum. Everybody, you know, my my experience has been. I would say about three quarters of the people who hear it like the idea. If you're someone who doesn't or you got objections kicking around, do try to find that that piece I wrote on Sportsnet because literally the piece on Sportsnet is me saying this is a great idea. Here's some of the objections. Here's my response to them. So see if, if your objection is on there. Uh, and if, if it's not, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I love arguing with people on Twitter about <laughs> subjects where I actually know that I'm right because it happens so rarely. Uh, so I, I'd be happy to, uh, to have this, uh, this argument with anyone who wants to have it. You can find Sean uh, at Down Goes Brown on Twitter. Obviously, you're, for, you're definitely following him. And if you're not, go ahead and do it. Uh, Sean, thanks so much and have a great night. Thanks, guys. And welcome back to the two uh, less smart people uh, who stayed on. Uh, we really appreciate Sean, having Sean back. Uh, after we finished recording, Brad, uh, I looked at you and we're, we were talking and we said, we forgot that Sean was one of the like the really, really great guests who knew how to talk on a podcast, especially as an interview interviewee. I miss Biscuits. Biscuits. That was his uh, podcast with Dave Lozo. Oh, is that what it was called? Yeah. I, never really, I was never really... A, I wasn't into podcasts at the time that that was out. Yeah, it sucks that that's no longer a podcast, but hey, no. it was uh, better to have love and lost. Another th- <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, I'm not finishing this statement. Um, we are going to link uh, that article that, that Sean was talking about uh, in the description. It is worth reading. It holds up um, 
just as truly then as it doesn't or now as it did then um and he's right like he legitimately nails every single point you guys will remember a few episodes ago when when brad brought this up and that wasn't my first ever time hearing it but it was my first time hearing it like completely fleshed out and initially i had done the devil's advocate thing i was like i'm not sure about that brad and then i brought up a couple points and brad you know being familiar with the plan was like no no this and that like here's why that this works understand your your frustrations or your concern about it and then i thought in my head in the whole episode i'm going well what about no yeah he's right hey but what about no oh yeah oh yeah god he's right and i'm so happy that i came to that conclusion by the end of that episode because if i held against this (laughs) now when a couple weeks later is when all this just coincidentally started blowing up or the whole hockey world listens to the winged wheel podcast i would have looked like a fool more so than i already do so yeah really glad Yep. For the, the first time in the history of the podcast, we were ahead of the mainstream by like a week. <laughs> hey, man, I think we're, I feel like we're saying now, that to be more fair, and more. Sean was ahead of it by like three years, which is I'm pretty sure where I first heard of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever, Sean. Um, speaking of Sean, we actually didn't have a chance to get into his uh, piece on The Athletic about uh, concussions and head injuries. And it was a really, really, really great read. Um, I loved it because he didn't sit there on a high horse or take a holier than thou attitude, which is kind of super prevalent in hockey media, hockey, Twitter, hockey writing uh, nowadays. Um, He kind of laid things out and preempted it by saying he didn't have an answer to this. He just wanted to be asking the question and it made him uncomfortable. And he's looking forward to ending that article so he can go back to talking about things that are less difficult to talk about, but it does need to be talked about concussions and fighting and, and it's place in the sport and, and blindside hits and what have you. Um, there's nothing that I can say to you that would be any better or come remotely close to what Sean, uh, laid out on the athletics. So please do, do go give it a read. Um, and it was exceptionally difficult, um, cause it, it talked about the merits of fighting and the enforcer and that rough and tumble and, and, you know, the way they used to play, which is something that I've said before. I've, I've caught myself saying, you know, we've all watched Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey and we've all loved it, but at what cost, you know, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is not, CTE is not, uh, a myth. It's, it's not something that's rare. It's, it's something that we're not even detecting as much as it exists and we're not detecting it until it becomes tragic most of the time. Um, and it's not, this isn't just an NFL thing. This isn't just a, you know, a professional martial arts or mixed martial arts thing. It's coming up in hockey. Um, and it, the, he released that article the day before, uh, the anniversary of, of the, uh, you know, fight night at the Joe, um, turtle day as we adoringly call it bloody Wednesday. Yeah. As Red Wings fans, as a Red Wings fan, it made me there was a conflict inside of me because there's no part of me that wants to shake my adoration or, or love for that piece of Red Wings history at all. I'll admit that. And that might be an objectively and morally wrong thing for me to say and believe. And at the same time, you know, I don't want junior hockey players ble- beating the bloody pulp out of each other and, you know, having brain degradation by the time that they're 25. It's a tough piece because if you ask me right now, um, you know, gun in my head, what do I believe fighting should stay in the game or be outlawed? Right now, at this very moment, I would tell you, you can't ban fighting. I, uh, to me, I honestly could care less if fighting stays or goes. That's not why I watch hockey. And I think um, in a lot of ways, it gives hockey an unfair ser- stereotype to non-hockey fans. Um, whether or not that's going to keep people away from watching hockey or bringing them in it's irrelevant, but that's not where the major concussions come from in the game of hockey. Honestly, it's the big hits. It's the Matt cook on Mark Savard's the Tom Wilson on Zach Aston Reese. Those type of hits are what are causing the most devastating injuries. And even at that fighting scaling back naturally. So I don't think that's even much of a debate anymore, because the Luke Witkowskis of the world don't exist on good teams anymore. That's just a fact. If you can't play, you can't be in the NHL. So we're not going to see any more staged fights. We're not going to see players going out of their way looking for a fight like Witkowski still does. And I think that's it's going to just get fewer and farther between down the line. And 
again, like you were saying, one of my fondest memories as a Red Wings fan was fight night at the Joe. Like I, I remember that clear as day and I was almost 10 years old when it happened. Mm-hmm. You have to appreciate it for what it was for its era. Everything in life is relative. That was a big moment, albeit not that uncommon in the mid-90s, just not to that extent is is what made it special. Yeah. It's like the through-the-legs goal now. That would have been the craziest thing ever in the 90s, but it, it happens often enough now that it's, eh, it's, it's nice, but relatively speaking to the era, whatever. That's why you don't... And again, any fight now seems like a crazy fight. People who are under the age of... I'll even say 25 don't really know what the early nineties and mid nineties were like for hockey fights. So we see a fight like, uh, who was it? I want to say a Chari on the Bruins fought someone and it just looked like a bloodbath. Yeah. If you go back to the 94 season, that probably doesn't even crack the top 20 fights for the month of October. No, it's so I'm not mega concerned about pulling it out of the game because I think the game is going to do that itself. I'm concerned with my big objection is I think it's insane that headshots isn't an automatic penalty like a high stick. If you are expected to be in control of your stick at all times, you should be in control of your shoulder at all times. If you hit a guy firmly in the chest and plant him on his ass and he gets... Uh, a bad concussion from whiplash or hitting his head on the ice. That's just bad luck. If you hit him in the jaw and he gets a concussion from it, that's just a dirty play. And that to me, that's the change that has to happen next before fighting. So this is obviously a topic. It's going to be at the forefront of the hockey world for the next decade or until it changes so we don't have to dive too far into it right now we'll have plenty of time in the future um let's talk about the red wings do we have to yeah uh, the ones that are remaining Ugh. who else is it dilla rose is confirmed out for the year um with an elevated heart rate um uh, vanek is out for the game against buffalo tomorrow um someone else is ruled out for that game as well if i'm not mistaken let me uh rasmussen's out for the season rasmussen's out for the season season oh damn it all yeah yeah, Marasmussen's out for the season, and Mantha wasn't skating today. Glendening wasn't skating. I don't know if they've updated exactly why. So the Red Wings were really, literally running three lines in practice today, uh, and that included Matt Pumple on the first line. Now, that being said, I doubt that's how everything parades out for the next game because you can't play an NHL game with three lines. So uh, based on the lack of recalls, I'm going to assume Mantha and Glendening are going to play tomorrow and they're going to run seven defensemen. But still, this is hilariously sad to look at. It's like, uh, it's not even, it's not even tanking really, but it's still tanking. They're not doing this intentionally. No, they're not doing this intentionally, but it's like, well, this is kind of the case. This is not the 2016 Buffalo Sabres. No, not at all. Yeah, so it was Anser Khan who tweeted that Blaschel said that Rasmussen's likely done for the season. That it's bad. upper body, but what he means is big summer in the gym just wants to start early. He's getting the Gary Roberts treatment. I'm worried it's Rasmussen's wrist again. Uh, yeah, probably. I don't know if it is, but man, that that is the one break he cannot have at this point. Um, but Martin oh Furk called up on an emergency. That was basis. the recall, yeah, yeah. Martin Furk. So the, uh, the Red Wings are just crawling to the finish line just let it you got to be thrilled if you're if you're Kuffner and Hiroshi and Pumple because here's an extended look that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten like this is the opposite of Adam Fox in Carolina right now right like there's no room there's no buddy above you that's holding you back from these roster spots if I if any one of those guys wants to be the number one d-man they can probably take that spot right now <laughs> as wingers respectively yeah um, yeah and hey so one of them is really capitalizing on the opportunity taro hero hiroshi yeah gets another assist against san jose yesterday four games four assists i'm this guy's honestly about to mess around and make me buy his jersey if he th- <laughs> if he thinks i won't buy a hiroshi jersey at the 50 percent off sale that the lca has at the end of every year he has another thing coming and well he no you don't even need to do that just repurpose your marchenko jersey get a new nameplate <laughs> 
But it's signed, Brad. It's signed. <laughs> if I had an Alexi Marcheco jersey, no. We all know that I got a Jakob Kindle jersey. If we're talking about number six Red Wings defenseman that we paid way too much attention to. Well, that's because he was at least the first round pick. I almost did buy a Jakob Kindle jersey because he was like the first Red Wing in my adult life that played for the Kitchener Rangers. So it was like, hey, win-win. And then nothing happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, speaking of Hiroshi and his production, the Red Wings beat the Sharks now. They're just running through the Pacific Division. That whole... That whole Western road trip, which was just only two games, but the whole Western road trip watching those games was just the gif of the guy on uh, Jeopardy who turns as a little bulkhead shows up and goes, what? (laughs) It was just, I'm sorry, what? Vegas looked bad. Vegas just looked bad against Detroit. San Jose was like, they dominated the, they don't, they have a bad power play and they dominated the power play. See, this is why when we're talking about teams that are likely to win the cup, San Jose does not inspire a lot of confidence because they have among the worst, if not the worst, 5v5 save percentage in the league. They are getting no support from their goaltenders. On the flip side, as a Red Wings fan, uh, this recent stretch is the exact perfect case you ever needed for pro points after elimination because Detroit's killing it. They would be in first right now and be sitting pretty for Jack Hughes. You know why why I think Blashill should be uh, not extended? Because the fool played superstar Taro Hiroshi when we're trying to tank. <laughs> I, th- I think I tweeted out, like, you cowards, give Taro Hiroshi 27 minutes a night. <laughs> Just do it. See what happens. Get, the kid looks good. He looks good. He's His pace still doesn't look as um, fast as I would like it to be for the NHL. But damn, is he a smart player. Yeah, you know, it's hard to blame him for that when the entire team skates like they have cement blocks as skates. He plays on a line with Athanasiu. You know, it's easy to <laughs> hold that against him. Uh, well, Zadina's pacing looked off, but that's because he was moving way faster than his line mates, right? Yeah, Zadina's uh, pacing issues were not that he was going too slow. No, that was far from It looked pace. like he had taken far too much caffeine before the game and couldn't stand still. He was that child in the backseat of the car on a three-hour road trip yeah. at the two-hour mark. Yeah. Do you want to pass? Do you want to pass? Do you want to cycle the puck? How do you want to break in? Let's break in. We haven't break in in a while. Come on, let's go. Give, give me the puck. Give me the puck. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot. The net's right there. Give me the puck. I'm going to shoot. Here. I'm going to shoot. Here. Thomas, 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 I'm passing. Thomas, I'm passing. Thomas, I'm passing. Oh, you missed it. Hold on. Let me go get it. Okay, Thomas, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> that was Zadina. Hiroshi's, um the dude from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nice. That was a good reference. There we go. That would have made Evan look, if Evan was here, that would have made Evan look up and go, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Evan's a little, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. We we are better than, uh, than hockey takes, better than things about the Detroit Red Wings, <laughs> about being a podcast. We are most apt at predicting and being Evan. <laughs> what did I say last episode? I think I did an actual imitation of exactly what Evan would say. Oh, I'm still hung over from this trip. Oh, God, couldn't. When we do, messaged. Do we screenshot that and put it on Twitter just for proof? Honestly, we might as well. We're talking about like the logistics of like what time we're going to get here because we're interviewing Sean McIndoe and then we have to record the whole episode after. And we are asking like yes or no questions and providing like tangible details. And all Evan says when no one asks goes, I'm still hung over. <laughs> and then I asked after, hey, uh, we're recording the interview right now. Are you coming to the actual episode recording later? To which Evan said, nothing. Evan hasn't said anything. We won't no, hear from he, him. He until- did respond. Did he? He did. Hold oh, on. I missed it. It was great. I'm going to read it verbatim. Oh, this is okay. Good. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, his response was, I'm super sick, so I probably should not. Hung over and real sick. <laughs> <laughs> Hangover and real sick. <laughs> That's that well, was his response. Evan, if you're listening to this, thank you for the bit. He's not listening to this. No. no. Uh, the Red Wings are playing uh, Buffalo tomorrow. Oh, as an update, we know tomorrow was supposed to be the live stream and uh, um, Patreon exclusive episode. But in light of having Down Goes Brown back on the show uh, and a couple things that are in the works, we're actually going to be delaying that. Don't worry. You're still going to get March's stuff in addition, uh, in addition to April's stuff. Um well, well, April won't have the live stream because the season will be over. No, we'll, we'll live stream. We'll, uh, we'll pick a playoff game. 
Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And we can watch what good hockey feels yeah. like. And we're also going to be live streaming the uh, draft lottery, so. Oh, that I'm not ready for that. No. Oh, my God. That's soon. That's very soon. That Ryan, is... I was living in peaceful bliss. Why did you bring up the draft lottery? <laughs> Under two weeks away. Ryan, no. Under two, 13 days, Brad. Oh, now I'm going to be counting down. I legitimately forgot that it was that close because mm-hmm. it was later last year. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. Uh, I'm ready for this. I've had three separate groups of people try to make some kind of plan for April 9th, to which I said, nope, sorry. Can't do that. Is that a Monday or a Tuesday? That was uh, a Tuesday, right? Yeah, I believe that's a Tuesday. Oh, fantastic. So we'll be live streaming I'm that. I have to put in a request request at work to not work late that day. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to be at your house by myself. Well, we'll, we'll Mika be here. Probably. But to be honest, she just has no camera etiquette, that girl. None. She pulls all. her shirt up and screams. <laughs> <laughs> she really is your daughter. Yep. <laughs> Uh, she, <laughs> we are that we are that meme where the mother just yells at the daughter in the back seat. Why can't you be normal? <laughs> Instead ah. of just the kids screaming, it's Crystal yelling and me and Mika sitting there screaming. <laughs> uh, so before next episode, there's actually um, uh, two important games: one against Buffalo. Uh, all right, well, I guess the Buffalo one's whatever, but the one against De- Jersey on Friday. Detroit has almost caught up to Buffalo as well. They're only five points back now. Yeah, but eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if they win tomorrow, they are three points back of Buffalo. So Buffalo Jersey, if you've ever rooted for two Red Wings losses more uh, at any point in your life, now is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, Detroit has a game in hand on Jersey, and they're only a point back, just to give you some context as to where the rate, the lottery division is at. And and to make everything clear, because I've seen a lot of Red Wings fans get really angry about uh, other Red Wings fans rooting to lose because, oh, it's just a lottery the ping pong balls aren't going to go in our favor anyway. It's low odds no matter where you finish. No, no, no. I do not care if we finish second, third, or fourth last because of the lottery odds. I f- care if we finish second, third, or fourth last because that could be the difference between picking fifth, sixth, or seventh. I'm looking at the worst case scenario here. And talking about things that are out of our control because I feel like I should. Um, I've seen it paraded around on Twitter for the past few days. And it's it's coming from a good place. It's people not wanting to stress over things. But it's the notion that just because Detroit doesn't get a first or second first or second overall pick doesn't mean that they aren't likely to get a, a, a game-breaking player. Uh, you can get it anywhere, and they've done it in the past. We've talked about this a lot, and we will continue to do it until everyone understands. The likelihood of getting a game-breaking player is already infinitesimally, infinitesimally small. The moment you leave pick number one, it drops. This is a lucky year where one and two are almost interchangeable. Once you leave pick number two, it is like finding a needle in a haystack when the haystack is not even guaranteed to have a needle. And the haystack is also massive. It's just not... You want pick one or two. Don't be deluded and think that you'll find, you're guaranteed to find, or even likely, or there's a reasonable chance to find a capo caco beyond pick number two. It's just not the way it works. Now, it's not to say nothing of value can be had. Yeah, could Trevor Zegers, Alex Turcotte, Dylan Cousins be good first-line centers? Yeah, absolutely they could be. We have one of those in Dylan Larkin, and having another Dylan Larkin, in theory, would be nice. But we don't need another Dylan Larkin. We need a Sidney Crosby, a Patrice Bergeron, so on and so forth. And like, the, Look the, at Elias Pettersson. Like, there's guys who could still end up being superstars, and they might even be better than a first overall pick, but that's just not the way the odds work. That's not how you play them. You know, you don't pick. You don't, Otherwise, you know... But the funny thing is, the Elias Pettersson draft year, everybody said going into that year, that was a weak top end of the draft. That was So the guy picked fifth overall, turned out better than the guy the four guys picked ahead of him, was not entirely surprising for that draft. No, that was one of those drafts where they're like, I have to take this guy, even though it might be in my best interest to take someone else. Yeah. Um, Apparently, the Red Wings had Pettersson at one or two on their board. No, they picked four picks later, though, right? Six yep. picks later? Four picks after yeah. Pettersson. So it wasn't particularly close, but... I. I thought Patterson would be in Detroit's range. I did too. And I was like, oh man, that was a little bit of a reach by Vancouver. I think in our our, our actual mock that we did beforehand, our final one, we had Patterson to Detroit because yeah. we thought that's around where he was ranked. And oh, um, yeah, that's depressing thinking back on it. So to kind of, I guess, mitigate the effectiveness of my, my rant just there, it's not to say Patterson can't happen. It's not to say Datsuker Zetterberg can't happen. It is to say, just because you see a tweet that says, 
remember Detsuken Zetterberg does not mean that it will likely ever happen again in your lifetime. I'm just, it's just the numbers. It's just the way the numbers well, work. Well, let's, uh, you know what? Let's just do a fun little thought experiment. Not thought experiment, actual experiment. No. Just going to take me a second to load this because I'm going to read off. I don't even know where they're at, but let's read off the top 10 scores in the NHL right now and uh, see where they were picked. Shall we? Yeah. Number one, here's an exception to the rule. Nikita Kucherov. Second round. Connor McDavid. First overall. Patrick Kane. First overall. Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, third or, third fourth or fourth or third. overall. Yep. Brad Marchand. Another another late one. Where what third round? Something like that. Yeah. Now, <laughs> Sidney Crosby, first overall. Steven Stamkos, first overall. Nathan McKinnon, first overall. Johnny Goudreau, uh, seventh overall. No, was he it? was fourth or fifth round. Fourth, fourth or fifth round. Yep. Mitch Marner, fourth, fourth overall. Uh, so, Brad Marchand was uh, round three. Yeah, I was right. So not that the Kucherovs. And the Marshans of and the Johnny Goudreaux of the world can't happen, um, but the other seven guys were all picked in the top four. And how so, many first overalls were there? First overalls: one, two, three, four, five. Half, half. You know how many other picks are in the NHL draft? Hundreds, and half of them were all at one single pick, number one overall. So again, the point is, it's not necessarily that we're going to pick first overall. It's that the odds plummet of getting a franchise-changing player once you get out of the top five, and if Detroit finishes fourth last, statistically, they are most likely to drop out of the top five. Uh, Johnny Goudreau was drafted in round four. Round four. Yeah. Just like Andreas Athens, see you. Yeah. So, there's your little bit of... (laughs) gray in your day just in case you accidentally got some sunshine that's us raining on your parade so and also to expand on your one metaphor of the needle in the haystack where the needle might actually be there don't forget about the long grueling arduous trek just to get to the haystack yeah (laughs) you gotta walk in the cold on a rainy day where there's some like ice but also like some weird sunshine that was only there enough to get you out the door through some you know backwards nowhere town in ohio you didn't bring a proper coat you're you hungry have, and you have no shoes. You have no shoes. <laughs> and also your number one defenseman is Jonathan Erickson. <laughs> your name's Ken Holland. <laughs> oh God. Uh moving on, we're gonna talk about well, I, I guess the the rest of the week. The Red Wings have Buffalo, New Jersey. Sunday's game against Boston. Uh I will actually be there with a couple of buddies. Uh you, why? Uh, you know. <laughs> uh I'm trying to think of a reason. Uh, uh, no, these are actually Toronto fans. Uh, Brian and Jay are... Ew, why? They're Toronto fans that want to see the LCA. Credit, uh, my friend Brian actually bought a Red Wings hat. So okay. he, he's committing to to the... Part of me is impressed that they're going because why would a Leaf fan ever want to watch the Red Wings or the Bruins? I think it's so they can afford to go to an NHL game. Ah, uh, yes. Toronto's awful. That's right. Cheaper to drive to Detroit, buy an overpriced ticket to an overpriced arena compared to what Detroit's used to, and then drive all the way back up to Kitchener-Waterloo. So that's six hours of driving all in one day, and that's still cheap, and a ticket, and it's still cheaper than going to a game uh, in Toronto at, I can't have, Scotiabank? Scotiabank Arena. Arena. Scotiabank Place was the Ottawa when they had, yeah, yeah, okay. And the Scotiabank Saddle Dome is Calgary. Ugh, that's so annoying. It's so rude of them to do that. So yeah, if you guys are going to be at the game, shoot me uh, a, a tweet. Um, I'll bring some uh, podcast swag with me. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about... Well, the standings are interesting, and, and um, it's really, really heating up. I, I find myself rooting for Columbus. Well, I want Columbus because I want more teams to create chaos at the trade deadline, so I hope this works out for them. Mm-hmm. Quick, Quick aside... Whoever does the uh, the top navigation bar on NHL.com, where most of the year to find standings, you have to go to stats and then standings, which is a stupid place for standings to be. And then all of a sudden you moved it out to the main area, where like the main bar where it should have been the whole time. Leave it there the rest of the year, please. It is such a stupid way to navigate the site. I digress. Uh, in the East, Columbus is still outside of a playoff spot, um, but they have a game in hand on Montreal and more ROWs and they're only two points back, so they could possibly make it in. You want a perfect example about why the loser point system is atrocious? Columbus isn't in a playoff spot. No, I want you to look at first through fifth in the Metro and look at the ROW. First through fifth in the Metro. 41 ROWs, 40 
40, 40, 41. If you ever needed a three-point system, proof of a three-point system, and and all those teams you're talking about, what's the point difference from the 41 at the top to the 41 at the bottom? 10 points. Loser point is garbage. Scrap it. Oh, my goodness. 10 points. Pittsburgh has 11 overtime and shootout losses. 11 points given to them. Without that, they are 84 points. They are three spots back so in the wild card. if you are objectively looking at the game of hockey of did you win the game in some version of hockey, not counting the shootout, all five of those teams are pretty much on par right now. I... My preferred system is the three-point system. That's my go-to as yeah. well. But no, what your your point holds true. It's painful, painful seeing teams with 11 overtime losses possibly win a division. Almost win a division for losing 11 extra times. Yep. Ah, that's nuts. Um, in the West, uh, Arizona and Minnesota have fallen off. Colorado, well, Arizona and Colorado are actually tied in points. Uh, Colorado has a game in hand, though. Really, really, really tight races, uh, but that's not what you guys are listening for. You're listening for um, the lottery division. In the lottery division, um, things have tightened up a little bit. Uh, Detroit is only six points away from the lead, which Ottawa holds uh, with 60. Detroit's got 66 points, but the bad news is um, jockeying for placement. Detroit has actually lost ground to LA, who all even games played um, is uh, two points ahead of them, so... LA's second last was 64 points, and Detroit's 66 points is third last. Same ROWs for both of them. So uh, Detroit could not capitalize on a couple of key LA wins, and they, with their strong road trip, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 compared to LA's 4-6 and six is, uh, is what made the difference there. Listen to how we're talking right now. This is why we need the gold plan. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping you'd pick up on that. It was at... My brain was working backwards there. Yeah, I hate this so much. I, as a fan, I hate this. So much. Uh, six points or six games to go. It's six points back of Ottawa. There's a chance it could happen. A lot would have to go right for Detroit for them to take uh, last in the league. Pretty much right now, there should be two priorities. A, don't fall any lower because they have a game in hand on Jersey. And uh, they're only one point back of Jersey. So realistically, they could pass Jersey and become fourth last. Uh, so priority one is don't go lower than third in the lottery division. And um, try and lose harder than LA to take over that second spot. So you know how did, um, Fox Sports Detroit always puts up those keys to the game? Mm-hmm. These are the three keys to the game for every game for the rest of the season. Number one, lose. Number two, don't win. Mm-hmm. Number three, do something worse <laughs> than a tie. <laughs> tie harder. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Bernier only knows how to win when the Red Wings don't need it. Yeah, because he's been unreal lately, and it's irritating. Yeah, that game against San Jose, he, like, we're just shutting down everything. Yeah, he's, uh, I don't, see, this is why I don't mind. If Howard got traded, I would have been fine with Bernier and whoever else. Uh, that's the, the lottery division. Let's do a quick tankathon here before we head on. Yeah, it might be our last one when we're doing it from third last. Oh, yeah. From third last. Okay, so we'll do mock draft style so we have the, the teams in front of us. So Detroit has third best odds right now. I'm going to send the lottery. And Detroit stayed number three. So New York We actually, won the draft lottery. Yeah, New York actually uh, bumped up five spots to take Jack Hughes. Or, sorry, we don't know that. Uh, Buffalo bumped up three spots to take spot two. And then Detroit, Colorado through Ottawa, L.A., Jersey, um, Anaheim, Vancouver, Chicago, Edmonton. So look at that scenario. Jersey's picking sixth. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. First overall, Rangers will take Jack Hughes. Second overall, Buffalo. Buffalo will take Capo Caco. Third, Detroit will take Vasily Potkolzin. Yes, please. Fourth, Colorado. Alex Turcott. Uh fifth, LA will take Dylan Cousins. Sixth, Jersey. Trevor Zegris. Uh seventh, Anaheim will take. Oh, man. Bowen Byram. Uh, eighth, Vancouver. Peyton Krebs. Uh, ninth, Chicago will take Kirby Doc. And tenth for Edmonton. Cole Caulfield. Oh, yeah. You think Caulfield will come that high? The all-time, USNTDB all-time leading goal scorer getting fed by Connor McDavid consistently. 
Yeah, they'll take And let's that. also not forget Connor McDavid played junior for a year with Alex Dabrinkit. He knows how players like Cole Caulfield work. Yeah. Cole Caulfield actually is uh, a good asset because he's one of those players that list- is listed as both as a winger and a centerman. Um, but he's actually shown off the talent to do both. Mm. So he'll be he'll be key in fantasy hockey. Yeah, absolutely he will be. Uh, anything else? Oh, Doughty talking a bunch of... <laughs> True Doughty. I'm sure everyone's seen the comments where Drew Doughty basically teed off on <coughs> everyone. Uh, oh, are you get? Is this our uh, annual sickness? Yeah, I've been I've been sick for three days. Ugh. I went to the rec center, which is a, for the listeners who aren't from the area. It's a public swimming pool, and those are just disease filled. And we kissed puddles. earlier. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. Uh, so the Drew Doughty pretty much already has his FERQ money and uh, doesn't care about what anyone else thinks. So he openly bashed uh, Brent Burns as a Norris candidate. I think he had a lot of merit in that argument. I know a lot of people came after Doughty, but I, I do think he had a lot of merit in that argument. Um, what else did he... Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, he hates Matthew Kachuk. He loathes Matthew Kachuk. Talked about how little respect he has for him on and off the ice, uh, how no one respects him. There was obviously the chorus of Probably justified. Kachuk lives rent free in his head and does exactly what he wants. Um, yeah, it, I really, whatever you think about his comments aside, fair or not, you can't be the same person who asks for more excitement in the sport of hockey like the NBA has, and then try to shoot down what Drew Doughty has. I love it. I fuel the hatred. Give me character. Give me you know unfiltered access to to their stupid thoughts. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. The NHL needs more of two things. Fun, which Carolina's providing, mm-hmm. and hate, which your daddy's providing. It's a good year. Not for the Red Wings, but it's a good year for hockey. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and then another piece of smack talk that came out was that Kuznetsov firing back at uh, Don Cherry for calling him uh, a jerk. And Kuznetsov just, <laughs> just destroyed him. <laughs> he like In the same vein, he took the high road, but also beat the hell out of him, metaphorically. It was good to see. Kuznetsov's low-key one of the funniest dudes in the NHL. Oh, he's hysterical. Anyone who does that celebration is hysterical. I would, If I was a good hockey player, I would be doing that obnoxious ego celebration every single time. If I was a player on a team that's playing Washington, I would do that stupid oh. ego celebration every time I scored a goal. Do you remember all the backlash when Ovechkin did his fire stick celebration? Yeah, and that was it was still stupid back then. I hated the hockey world for that, and I hate them now because it, I think it stopped a lot of people from doing it. I hope it comes back. One of the the arguably the biggest goal scored in the NHL last year was Kuznetsov scoring the overtime winner in Game Six in Pittsburgh to talk about, and he did the bird celebration. I want that framed and put on my wall. A hundred percent. Uh, we're going to transition over to Patreon. Uh, it's it's a midweek episode. I know it constantly comes up with interviews where a lot of our interviews are kind of on the fly where we don't know how much time we'll have depending on that person's schedule um, and when we're going to be posting. So I always put it up just in case we have time for questions. Uh, Sean was limited in time today, so we didn't have time to get to, to the questions. But that means he got way more useful, cause, uh, useful content because Sean just gave us everything and more. So... Fingers crossed in the future. Uh, we do. We are going to start off with uh, John Evans, who said, Chris Draper recently said he thought Capo Caco was better than Jack Hughes because of how he performed on a big stage at the World Juniors. Is there something to what he's saying, or am I justified in getting a headache from how stupid that sounds and screaming, sample size, at my television? Jack Hughes also had a point in that gold medal game, so I, I hope it's a ploy to throw other teams off so that Detroit could still get... Hughes at number two because I'm not saying Kako is a bad player, but there's nothing that has made me think Jack Hughes isn't the superior player here. And no. if that clutch quote unquote clutch factor is the deciding factor in Detroit's head, that's dumb and a myth and has never actually really been proven or held up. Um, You know what? That, that clutch factor, there is something to it in my mind but One it can game only ain't gonna do it. No, but if it's being used to say this guy constantly shows up when he's needed, it's it can only ever bring positive uh, evidence. Though like it can't really show it to the contrary. Because if a guy they're like, oh, he he doesn't have the clutch gene. He's not showing up in big games. That's when he screams sample size. You're like, well, the guy's barely played in any big games and he hasn't developed as a player. You don't know how he'll be when he finishes developing as a player. 
But if you have a guy who's going to keep showing up in big games and he has a pedigree for it, then yeah, that's a great thing. But when you have uh, uh, some kind of metric that you're measuring and it only can give you feedback in one direction and not the other, then it's not entirely useful to base an entire pick on. So there's a lot of TV speak. It might be some gamesmanship from Draper. I don't know. Um, I don't put too much stock into that kind of thing either. It's nice to think about, and it's nice for the old-fashioned, the old-fashioned crowd. But it's not quite. Um, I don't. I, I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket. If junior clutch perf- or pre-NHL clutch performance is the determiner for what is going to make a great NHL player, Jordan Everly should have had seven heart trophies by now. Does he not? <laughs> His first goal in the NHL kind of screamed, oh, this guy's going to win Hart trophies. Yeah, I'll yeah. never forget that goal. Oh, man. He had, in the World Juniors alone, he had three massive goals. He has... <laughs> and a shootout winner. Some of the biggest goals in World Junior Tournament history. Maybe the biggest. Oh, yeah. I would give that one the biggest. And he preempted the uh, the ruined, most ruined gold call ever. Thank you, Pierre Maguire. There's an edited version on YouTube. Is there? Yep. Someone someone cut Pierre Maguire out of the goal call, and it's magical. Uh, Brendan B. Singer says, question for Sean. Sorry. Uh, What fan base have you ever pissed off the most, and how did you do it? I bet you it's Toronto. Uh, (laughs) Based on his podcast, I would bet Ottawa. Oh, yeah. Did you notice his dig at Ottawa? Well, he couldn't help it when he was like, in Ottawa, that would have been a great game. Well, not for Ottawa this year. I love that. (laughs) He can't help himself. Like, true. He's a Leafs fan from Ottawa. Leafs fans, in a weird way, like, we lose sight of how important the Leafs are to hockey. Oh, Mika's home. Uh, how important the... This whole time. Has she? Yeah. No. She was in the bath when you got here. Yeah, that's a long... I could not hear her. <laughs> we didn't hear her for, like, an hour. Um, Leafs in Montreal, Leafs in Detroit, and Leafs in Ottawa, like those are all rivalries where you're you can probably find a Leafs fan, Leafs fan who's willing to die to defend that rivalry or to defend the Leafs in that rivalry. Like it, they are rabid. And so to find how much they just constantly shit on Ottawa is hysterical. Uh Garrett TV says, general question. Has a time passed to buy on Eric Carlson? He's amazing, but hear me out. He'll be 29 soon, already has almost 700 NHL games on his body, and is yet again fighting an injury. In fact, he'll have likely missed 54 regular season games over the past three years if he sits out the rest of this season. Plus, he missed most of the 2012-2013 season. I get that he's a tremendously skilled player and has been a perennial Norris candidate slash winner, but in the current context of the team and of Carlson himself, do we really want to be pouring out the money and term that's going to take to land him? And even if everything goes well for the Red Wings, he's probably in his early to mid-30s on a bad contract before we're legit playoff contenders. I just feel like we'd be a team that honestly doesn't immensely transform with him playing. In my opinion, we're remembering the Carlson of years past, with uh, but buying the Carlson of present. Too long, didn't read. I really think Carlson would be a poor investment for this team and want to know what you and McIndoe, sorry, think. Please uh, take, or what do you think of this take? Let's go Red Wings. Eric Carlson's main point of his skill set is not his skating, so he will age pretty well because his hockey IQ and passing ability are what get him through. So will he age flawlessly and be a, uh, as effective of as a player as he is at 34 as he is now? No, N- almost certainly not. Also, the cap will probably have gone up a lot by then, and he'll still be a good player at that point. Another thing to remember is that the Red Wings are currently mired by bad contracts that are bad contracts for players that were never really good enough for them in the first place. If you're paying to have Eric Carlson on your team for four really effective years and then three more where he's dropped off and he's not earning his however many million dollars, and you have the discipline as a general manager to have no other bad contracts, if you're one, we always talk about every team has at least one, if you're one is Eric Carlson, and you can stay disciplined other than that because the Red Wings won't have, by the end of a, a hypothetical a Carlson contract, anyone else to worry about. Um, you're kind of swimming. And like Brad said, that contract will age well. You see defensemen, talented defensemen, play great hockey. It almost never happens. Mark Giordano's 36. He's 36 and having the best season of his career. He's going to win the Norris Trophy. And if he doesn't, it's a crime. And he's playing. And that hockey is is past... He is now considered like a senior player where if he retires, it has like there's cap penalties if he signs a contract now. 
def- the certain styles do age better. It's rare. It's not something you can ever bank on. But if you had to bank on it, if you had to put money down, I know I say that phrase a lot. Uh, I wouldn't mind that on Eric Carlson. And not to mention, you're getting four fantastic years of hockey from Eric Carlson. You have a number one defenseman. Everyone talks about, oh, we need this guy to train this guy, or we need this guy to mentor this guy. The Red Wings don't have a single player that's good enough to be mentoring young guys. I'm just going to put that out there. We always talk about it. I honestly do not believe that outside of being a decent human being in the locker room, anyone on Detroit is doing anything significant of value in terms of training young guys that no other player in the league could do. I know that kind of took went off the rails, but it's just a, a gripe that I have with that common quip. Um, um, so translation, Eric Carlson signs five-year player contract, three-year coach contract? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> he just becomes the defensive coach. Um, we do have some questions from uh, from Reddit last week where uh, I, I kind of want to get to because we, uh, yeah, we actually made, we're past an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're just about past now, but we we got almost no Reddit questions in uh, from last week, so I want to ask one or two more. Um, da, da, da. Oh man, no, I guess not. We got to the big ones. Oh, the Doctor Ten says, "What's your favorite piece of of uh, Wings memorabilia?" My favorite is a Wings program I got Chelios and Draper to sign. It's a cool story. It was the last year at the Joe, and I was in the last row of seats before you could reach over and see the Wings GM and Brass. I found a Sharpie at the second intermission and made gest- made a gesture to Draper for him to sign it on the page that lists the rosters and team personnel. Being the classy guy he is, he grabs it, signs it right next to his name on the program, and then he slides it to Chelios, who also signs. It was some real Mission Impossible type stuff and thanked him with a thumbs up, and he gave me a simple nod back. Needless to say, if Draper ends up as the Wings GM, I think we're in good hands based on this interaction and his embracing of the new school analytic approach to hockey if your reporting is accurate it is we're always accurate but no he actually is a new school guy um sorry this turned into a rambling post big fan of the podcast and here's to hoping the tank goes well and we end up with the top three pick that was a great story yeah your favorite piece of memorabilia either my detroit free press autographed printing plate of nick lidstrom where it says red rain after they won the 08 cup or this gordie howe autographed jersey i'm sitting in front of uh mine is uh, I believe it was Hassam Al Qasem's uh, signed Zadina stick from the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm for those of you who uh, are not patrons or are patrons, uh, I can send you my personal PayPal. I'll be saving up a million dollars to buy that from him. <laughs> Brad, do you have a million bucks? No. Oh, well, I'm a father. I definitely don't have that. No, you definitely do not. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, I implore you guys. To listen to the outro because uh, we don't have a we don't have our name. We need to think of a, a name. The dub dub the dub dub outro. Uh, she has some important information for you guys uh, that saves me from a long rant. But I would like to thank our name level sponsors from Patreon: Sky Carcass, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, uh, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, Hannah Lee. Uh, thank you all so much for supporting the show, and uh, we will see you later well Sunday maybe yeah later thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as Patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod and of course the hosts at Brad Crisco at Ryan Hanna WWP and at Hockey Town Evan